No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father, Son, Savior of the world and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. There is no other king like him. Amen? There is no other king like King Jesus. Happy Easter. So glad you are here today. Welcome to New Hope Church. If you are a guest, and I know we have a lot of guests here today. My name is Benji, and I have the awesome privilege of serving as pastor of this church. And we are just thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you are here. We are one church in many locations. What that means is Friday night, we kicked off the first of 26 worship celebrations that continue throughout the day in all of these different locations. So right now, we have folks who are in Kenya worshiping God with us. We have folks who are in Columbia, South Carolina, Sanford, North Carolina, Garner, Hillsboro, North Raleigh, Durham Campus, Coffee House Upstairs, Internet Campus. About a thousand plus people have been worshiping on the weekends, uh, streaming online. So on the count of three, I want you to welcome all of them. One, two, three. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Easter. Hey, I I want to share something with you. I just want to share my heart. I really feel like God has, has impressed this upon me to say to you. I love our church. Like, I don't mean like I just love the building or I love New Hope. No, no. I love our church. I love you as a people of God. You're one of the most faithful, beautiful uh, peoples of God I have ever been around. I've been around a lot of churches. I just love our 
church. And I was talking to a pastor the other day. I'm in this group where I mentor six or seven pastors. And I was talking to one of them just one-on-one. And he goes, well, I'm sure you love your church. He goes, y'all got all those campuses everywhere. You got all those missionaries. You got all this. You got, I'm sure you love your church. I said, no, bro, you don't understand. I said, I loved our church when we were 20 people 15 years ago meeting in my home. I love this church. And one of the reasons why I love this church, just by the way, and there are many, many reasons, but one of the reasons why I just absolutely love this church is because we have young people. We have seasoned people. (laughs) We have middle-aged people. We have rich people. We have poor people. We have middle-class people. I mean, we just have all kinds of people. I love the fact that we are a church that is fully diverse in all kinds of ways. Can I get an amen? I love, yeah, you can clap about that if you want. You should, you should. I, I I love the fact that we have brown people, black people, white people, Yellow people, by the way, we're doing a series. Most of you, maybe not, it's quite a while when I announced this. Maybe you you don't remember this. We are starting a brand new series in just a few weeks called Grace. I don't know if you've ever thought about the word grace. We all know what grace is, but if you ever thought about the word grace, within the word grace is the word race, R-A-C-E. And we're starting a series coming up called Grace. And we're going to be talking about what God is uniquely doing at this church in that we have become one of the most racially diverse churches in the nation. And we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians in the New Testament and talking about becoming a multi-ethnic church. Okay? And so check it out. You'll see this. Check it out. This is our series called Grace, Unified Diversity. Anybody thankful that we get to be a part of a church that is fully diverse? Grace, 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 grace. We got a church of Wolfpack fans. Some of you here, but some of you over in Garner. We've got Duke fans. (laughs) My my people. We got UNC fans. Who? (laughs) Y'all need Jesus. Who? Who? I mean, like, y'all all came out of the woodwork last week and gave me a hard time because I didn't mention the fact that North Carolina won the national championship. I knew they won it, and I was pulling for them with my daughter. I just had some other things on my mind last week. So I know it feels a little late, but it's really not that long ago. Congratulations. Hey, we have University of South Carolina fans. We have NC Central fans. Look at here. Look at here. And inevitably, somebody's out there going, well, what about the Carolina Hurricanes? What about them? <laughs> Listen, no offense, but hockey should have stayed up in Canada. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. Save your email. Right, we, we have, let's go politics. We have Republicans. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Don't think they're not in here. They're in here. I I just don't think they're sure they want to speak up about it. We have Republicans. We have Democrats. (laughs) 
And inevitably somebody's going, what about the libertarians? What about them? They probably ain't here. They're probably down in Raleigh picketing for the legalization of marijuana. Just saying. Right? We got, we got all kinds of people. We got, we got hunters. Any hunters in the house? We got fishermen or fisherwomen. We got dog lovers. We don't have any cat lovers. We banned cat lovers from this church when we started 15 years ago. They are evil. If you're a cat lover, I love you. I just don't love your cat. You know the problems with cats, right? The problem with cats is that like 2,000 years ago, I think actually 4,000 years ago, they were worshiped in Persia and they've never forgotten it. Can't stand cats, man. My, my point is we got all kinds of people up in the New Hope movement. Aren't you glad? And although we are very, very, very different, the truth is we are more alike than we are different. The truth is every single person within the sound of my voice, you're sitting here and we all share this in common. We're looking for hope. We're all looking for hope. And the truth is hope is hard to find in a hopelessly broken world. And that's our common Grounding. That's our common human predicament, if you will. And so I know we're in a series on Romans 8, but God laid a, a verse on my heart not long ago that I really felt like I wanted to share with you today. It's all the way back in the book of Psalms. You don't have to turn there. Psalm 33, 22. Psalm 33, 22. And this is how it reads. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Isn't that a great verse? Why don't you say it with me? May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our... That was pretty good. That was pretty good. But you can do better. Go. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Think you can say it if I take it off the screens? I think you can. I think you can. Let's take it off. Ready? Go. May your even as we give yourself a hand. Isn't that a great verse? Isn't that a great verse? I want to talk to you today about hope. In particular, I want to talk to you today about finding hope. Everything we've put out there about this Easter weekend for the last three or four months has all been hashtag finding hope. And I want to talk to you about that today. And, and even though we're very different, again, we have far more in common, I believe, than we are different. And one of the things that we have in common is that we all are trying to navigate this tension. And, and maybe this will help us get some traction together all in the same direction. We're trying to navigate this tension, and I would pose it in a question like this, and this is, this is where you are. Many of you are right here today, and you're going to think I've been reading your email, but I haven't. This is just kind of the human predicament. Here's the question. How do we find hope in a hopelessly broken world? That's, that's the question that many of you are asking, and maybe you've never really put words to it, and maybe nobody's ever helped you articulate it, but here's the question that we struggle with day in and day out. How do I keep hope alive in a hopelessly broken world? Let me give you some examples. Maybe you're here and you're single, right? You're single, and you used to dream of finding Mr. or Miss Special someone, 
And you just knew that God called you to get married. But lo and behold, you're now in your 30s. Or maybe you're in your 40s. And the reality is eHarmony and Match.com is not yielding you any results. Or Christian mingle. Right? 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 And I'm not down on those websites. I mean, hey, I think they can be useful. And I know some couples who have met, and it's great. But it's not working out for you. And when you lay your head down at night, here's what you're wondering and asking. And maybe you don't put it in these words, but maybe this will help identify it for you. How do I maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? Maybe you're here and and you did get married and you stood before an altar one day and you stood before a pastor one day and you said, until death us do part. And you meant it. But your spouse really actually meant until something new and better comes along. And you're left. And they're off. And they're doing your thing, their thing. And you're wondering, how do I keep hope alive in a hopelessly broken world? Or maybe that's not your story. Maybe you did get married, but the truth is he or she's not running off on you. But you're married and miserable. And you're thinking, and you you don't talk to people about this, but this is what you think often. How can I spend the rest of my life in this marriage? And you're wondering, again, in places that nobody really talks about, how do I maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? Maybe you're here and you're married and your marriage is pretty good, but you too had dreams of having children one day. I mean, you know this is a calling on your life. There is a deep desire, and I know what that's like, to have kids and raise kids. But the in vitro fertilization and everything else you're trying is just not working. And it causes arguments, and you're wondering, how do we maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? Or maybe you're here and you're let down as vocational. Right? You went to college. You got into good school. You got the degree hanging on your wall and you still have the loans to show for it. And you got the job maybe. And maybe you're making the money. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're let down as you're not making the money. Or maybe you are making the money. But the truth is you can't stand going to work every day. And you're wondering, is this all there is to it? How do I maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world. Just a few more examples. Maybe, maybe you were an athlete. I mean, maybe you were good. You were really good. Not just because your mama said you were good. You were good. And you might have been raised in a day and age where everybody gets a trophy, even the losers. But you were good. And you had big dreams and big hopes. And maybe you got there and you blew your knee out. Or maybe you got there and you just weren't quite that good and you didn't make the cut. And your dreams are shattered and you're wondering, how in the world do I maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? And you're navigating this tension and it's a constant back and forth. Or maybe you're here and you have a son or a daughter and you did your best to raise them well. And you had big aspirations for them and big dreams and you thought they were going to be great in life. But they keep making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And they're way out in the prodigal land and you don't know if they'll ever come back. And you wonder, was it even worth it? You're wondering, how do I keep hope in a hopelessly broken world? And and those are just just examples on a micro scale. Like those are just, 
Those are just personal stuff that you deal with and I deal with. I mean, I could even go macro, right? I could go to a larger, you got school shootings. How many more times can I cut on the flipping TV and there's a school shooting? Or vehicular mass murdering. Some crazy person gets in a big truck and they ride down a congested road and they murder people. And you're thinking, how do I maintain hope? In a hopelessly broken world and you're trying to navigate this tension. Or you got leaders like Assad gassing people. Or leaders like Kim Jong-un who keeps testing nuclear missiles. Or ISIS bombing Christians on Palm Sunday last week. And I will stop, but it's not because I have a shortage of examples. I could keep going. And the question is, how do you keep hope alive in a hopelessly broken world? And if you're sitting here and you can't relate to anything I'm talking about, I mean, you're so young and you're so naive, you're like, I don't know what that's about. I'll never experience that. Oh, you just hold on. It's coming your way. Welcome to this encouraging Easter message. How do you do it? I want to talk to you today about hope. Hope. And there are two kinds of hope, okay? There are several definitions in your program. You can look on there. I even put a, a definition from Webster. But then there's another definition, which is my definition. And I want to put this on the screen for you. This is how I would define hope to you today on Easter 2017. It's the person or persons or thing or things on which your expectations of fulfillment are resting. That's what hope is. The person or things on which your expectations of fulfillment are resting. There are two kinds of hope in this world. One is the hope. It's kind of like this ladder. One is the hope in things. T-H-I-N-G-S. It's, it's hope in the things of this world. The things like your talent. Putting your hope in your just your your excellence or your talent, your your skill set, or your fame, or your education. Young person, I don't care where you go to school. Don't put your hope in your education. It's it's putting your hope in wealth, right? Or it's putting your hope in your titles. I can give a lot more pedigree. I mean, on and on and on. One kind of hope is the fact that many people, this is the human predicament, we put our hope in things. There's another kind of hope, though. It's not the hope that you put in things. It's the hope that you put in someone. And that someone is who we're here to honor today and celebrate. And his name is Jesus. His name represents the Son of God who left planet or heaven, if you will, came to planet earth, lived amongst us in all of the brokenness and the hopeless things of this world. Yet he lived and he died on a blood-stained cross and the enemy thought it was over. Hopelessness and darkness thought it had won the day. But on Easter Sunday morning, that son of God raised to new life so that we can be here today honoring and celebrating a risen king. Amen. And the question I would ask you today is where are you leaning your ladder of hope today? 
Maybe you're here and the truth is you have all kinds of frustration inside of you. And you're trying to navigate that tension that I've been talking about of trying to remain hopeful in a hopelessly broken world. And it gives me a chance to say to our brethren over in Kenya, here is an example where you folks are far better off than we are. You see, in America, in the Western world, the truth is because we have so much stuff, we have a far greater tendency to try to lean our ladder up against the earthly stuff of this world. And our brothers and sisters in Kenya who don't have all the stuff that we have, they know very well, far better than us at times, that their only hope is in Jesus Christ. But what we do in the West, come on, do we not do this? We just go after this stuff. Man, we take our ladder, we lean it up against the things of this world, and we just acquire and acquire and acquire, and we put our hope in these things. And then we try to spiritualize it by going, oh, Lord, would you bless all my stuff? (laughs) Don't we? And it's only when we get to the hard times in life. It's only when we start to experience the free fall, if you will, and we start to actually realize that these things crumble. They don't last. They will not fill the God-shaped void and vacuum inside of your soul. Only Jesus Christ will do that. There's nothing wrong with using your talent. There's nothing wrong if God gives you fame using it for God. Education, well, there's nothing wrong with these things. They become wrong and they become idols when we actually lean on them to give us hope. And it is into this human predicament that Romans 8 speaks to us today. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. If you love the word of the Lord, let me hear an amen. Romans 8, verse 18. Again, if you're a guest here, we've been plowing through Romans 8 called the Great 8. we got several more weeks, and then we go into that grace series, and we hope you'll come right back and join us. Romans 8, 18. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Go. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed where? Revealed in us. So all this frustration that I've been talking about, and again, I promise good news is coming. But in light of all this frustration of trying to keep hope alive in a hopelessly broken world, Paul steps in and the word of God steps in and says, I just want to let you know all those present sufferings, they're real, those frustrations. But you need to know that if you are in Christ, they are not even worth comparing with the what, with the what, with the glory that will be revealed in He continues, look at verse 20a, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to what? For the creation was subjected to frustration, to which some of you go, what's he talking about? It's a great question. What Paul is talking about, if you read all of Romans, you'll see this. Paul stops and Paul just kind of reminds us that there's this thing that happened in the very beginning called the fall. If you're not real familiar with the Bible and you're not real familiar with good and evil, you just need to know this. Even though the world is hopelessly broken, do not pin that on God. When God created everything in the beginning, it was very clear. It was perfect. It was paradise. 
But God did not want to have a bunch of puppets on a string. So God gave us this thing called free will. He gave us choice. And all the way back in the beginning in Genesis, when we got that free choice, you know what we did? We went away from God. We turned away from God. We went our own way. We didn't obey the Lord. And in that moment, the world became a hopelessly broken place. What the Bible is saying to us here in verse 20 is that since the fall, we are all subject to this frustration that I'm talking about today. And all this time, you've kind of been thinking it's all about your own little sin or whether you can be a good boy or a good girl. And what I would want to say to you today and what Paul would want to say to you today is it's far bigger than that. It's so much bigger than, than whether you sin or whether you fall short or whether you're a good boy or whether you're a good girl. What Paul is saying is all the way back in the beginning when humanity fell, we were then subject to this eternal frustration on this side of eternity. We are subject to frustration because when sin entered the picture, it impacted everything. It's it's so much bigger than your sin and my sin. It's cosmic. It's universal. And you might say, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. Exactly. Neither did I. We were born into this stuff. And it impacts every single thing. It's why you sometimes say, well, why does he do this? Or why does she do that? Or why are my kids doing this? Or why is the world so violent? Or why am I so frustrated with things? Or why am I like the proverbial dog that caught the proverbial tire and I'm still not happy? It's because you live in a creation that is subject to frustration. Paul gets ready to turn the corner and he gets ready to offer the solution for the problem. Verse 21 of Romans chapter 8. Let's read it out loud. Ready? Go. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its and brought into the and of the children of God. Great verse. So we're subject to frustration in hope that one day God is going to bring forth the answer. One day God is going to answer the solution to the problem. The creation itself will be what? Liberated from bondage to decay. And let me just go and tell you. That phrase bondage to decay is just as morbid as it sounds. Bondage to decay. Every single, this is the universal human condition. Every single person within here, every single person at all the campuses, all of you folks up in the balcony. What's up, balcony people? A lot of you folks up there. And I can see you too. I can see everything you're doing. Be careful up there. Every single one of us were bondaged and bondage to decay. Do you guys remember 1997? I know it seems like a long time ago. 1997. When this sweet little old woman who was a nun, who was a sister of Calcutta. You remember little Mother Teresa? Sweet spirited woman of God who impacted the world. I'll never forget it. It was September 1997. I think it was September 5th, 1997. Mother Teresa died. 
And I remember thinking, this is what I thought. I'm serious. I thought, man, if Mother Teresa didn't get a pass on death, I'm done. I mean, think about it. If sweet little Mother Teresa is in bondage to decay, I hate to break it to you. You ain't got a shot. <laughs> Billy Graham. Billy Graham's going to die soon. I know some people who are actually real close to the family, and, and Billy's not doing well. And Billy's going to die soon. And I'm going to grieve deeply. And the church is going to grieve deeply. And I don't know what you'll think, but here's what I think. If Billy doesn't get a pass, if he doesn't get a buy on this bondage to decay thing, we are all subject to the frustration of bondage to decay. Um, this year, uh, I made a commitment that I was going to go to the gym more often. And I know you've been looking at me going, man, I can tell you're at the gym a lot, aren't you? No, just <laughs> You've actually been looking going, man, you probably need to get to the gym. I, I, I've been trying to go to the gym. So I go three times a week. And, um, and there's, this, there's this woman that goes to the gym. She's 60 plus years old, 60 plus. Um, and she's become a friend of mine. And I, I, I want her to come to church. And I'm just kind of building a relationship with her and all that kind of stuff. And she's not really that interested. But she's really a nice, nice person. She lives at the gym. In fact, I've been going there about maybe two or three times a year since January. I don't know that I've ever been to the gym where she's not there. <laughs> what are y'all laughing at? What did I say? Oh, <laughs> man, I get up here. I'm thinking all kinds of two or three times a week. <laughs> Some of you are like, I like that plan. I'm down with that. So two or three times a week, I've been going this year is what I meant to say. And, um, I've never been to the gym where she's not there. I think she lives at the gym. I want to show you what it looks like to care for your body, like because you can't really see it here, right? But <laughs> I want to show you this woman, 60 plus years. Oh, she inspires me. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Now, don't you wish when you're 60 years old, you're going to look like that? And she, I mean, she's just so into it. And I told her, I'm like, I want to take a picture of you and I want to show it in church. And she goes, what you going to say? <laughs> I said, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about how you're just so inspirational and you care for your body. And she goes, when you going to say it? <laughs> I said, Easter, I want you to come. And I don't know if she's here. If you're here, it's welcome. We're so glad. She's an inspiration to me. But you know what? I hate to break it to her. She can work, 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 and you can work, work, work. And we all should work on this stuff. But her body is subject to decay. And Paul says, it is in this state of frustration that we hope against a hopelessly broken world that God will step in and do that which we cannot do. And that is exactly what he did on that first Easter 2,000 years ago. Look at Romans 8, 24. I want us to read this out loud really strong like it's the word of the Lord. Ready, go. For in this we are one more time. For in this, we are. So what the Bible is saying is that if you are ever going to find hope in a hopelessly broken world, you're going to need to learn to move your ladder of hope. 
You're going to need to learn that all of these things are not bad in and of themselves. But if you place your hope in these things, you will be found wanting and miserable when it's all said and done. But if you will learn to take your ladder of hope, if you will, and move it from the things of this world to someone and lean your whole life up against the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for that is the only place in this world you will ever find eternal hope. Amen is right. Amen, amen, and amen. You might say, well, what hope? Well, what is that hope? I'm going to take them to 1 Peter 3 first, 1 Peter 1, 3, in fact. I'm going to jump out of the book of Romans for just a moment. I mean, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to take you to 1 Peter 1, 3. And you read the last one so well. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, come on, church, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice how Peter juxtaposes hope with resurrection. A little biblical trivia for you. The word hope is mentioned 71 times in the New Testament. How many? Check this out. It's mentioned one time before the resurrection of Jesus and 70 times after the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because there is only one person, not one thing, only one person, not a mere mortal, not your spouse, not your parents, not your boyfriend or your girlfriend, one person, God, man, Jesus Christ, and in the hope of his resurrection, do we find hope in a hopelessly broken world. Paul would say this in Romans 10, 9. Lean in. We're going to wrap up. We're going to end this thing. But you don't want to miss this. This is how you're saved. This is how you take your ladder, if you will, and you put it into someone. Romans 10, 9, an unbelievable verse of Scripture. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you have not. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your that what? God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be what? Saved. Believe in your heart or in your mind that Jesus is Lord. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Just, just another verse or two. This is probably the last verse we read. It's as, if Paul, it's as if Paul would say, okay, in light of all that we've talked about today, because the Holy Spirit is in this place, I can feel it. And this is as if, if Paul would say, in light of all of this frustration that you've talked about, in light of identifying that the only place you're going to find hope is in Jesus, Paul says, what shall we say in response to all of these things? Look at it, verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be 
against us. There you go. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? All things that you're deeply desiring in the first place. All things that you're placing your hope on that will not fulfill. The Bible is saying in Jesus, he will give you that hope. And it might not always result in you getting everything that you want. But in spite of not getting those things, you will have an eternal hope that will rest deep in your soul. That will take you through this thing called life across this thing called death, this subject to decay and into an eternity with God forever in a place called heaven because you will have fixed your life. You will have leaned your life not against the empty things of this world, but against someone who is able to give you that deep hope that you are desiring in the first place. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to ask you to just kind of stay put. I threw all this out here. I want you to sit in this for a moment. I want you to marinate in all that we've talked about. Try to stay put. Don't head for the door. We're only going to sing one old hymn, and then we're going to celebrate with one song. But I want you to actually take out your teaching notes. And I am asking for 100% participation here today. I want every single person to take out your teaching notes. And if you'll open that up, on the bottom of your teaching notes, there is a response card. And that response card says this, and you'll see it on the screens. My response to Easter and the invitation to know Jesus is, now don't mark anything yet. Don't mark A, because I want to talk to you about A, B, or C. Here's what you can do, though. Go ahead and write your name on it. Go ahead and write your name, and if you want to share your email, share your email. I send out a weekly devotion every week. You'll get that. Put your name in your email, but don't check A, B, or C, because I want to explain those real quick. And if you happen to get in the door without getting one of these, just shoot your hand up right now, and the ushers are ready to give you one. We got, we got one down here. Hold, hold it up high. Got some back there. We got, we got time. We are, we are beautifully on schedule. Do we have ushers in the top? Way to go, ushers. We got them in the balcony. Just raise your hand up. Got one down here, down front, my right, your left. Let's get one down here. Here you go, Teresa, over here. We're going to sing a hymn that's an old classic. This is going to bring back so many memories for some of you who were raised in church. For others of you, you might not have heard it. Maybe you were never churched and you didn't hear it. But I want, you're going to be blown away by the words of this old hymn. The old hymn is, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. Some of you might know it as on Christ the solid rock. But the old hymn, my hope is built, was written by a man named Edward Mote. M-O-T-E. Guess how many hymns he wrote in his life? One. And it became one of the most popular hymns ever in the Christian church. He was at the bedside of a couple. The wife was getting ready to pass, subject to decay, right? He didn't have a hymnal with him. So he took out a napkin and a pencil, and he wrote these famous 
lyrics. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean, (laughs) lean not on the things of this world, but on Jesus' name. Hey, where are you leaning your ladder? Where are you trying to find hope? And I don't know if you're like this, but I am. The truth is, I can have it over here, and if I'm not careful, I can take that bad boy and throw it right over here. Right? It's easy. It's easy to, it's easy to move it. It's easy. No, 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 no. Maybe you're here today, and you already were a believer, but the truth is, you need to move your ladder back. You've slipped into finding hope here. It'll never work for you. Or maybe you're here today and the truth is you've never had it here. Again, don't mark it now, but that would be B. If you look at the card, A is already received Christ. You're good. You're a Christian. You've already received it. And you know that you're leaning your whole life into Jesus. You haven't wandered over here. You're there. All right, you mark A after the song. But I want you to think about it first. B is I'm believing today in the hope of Jesus Christ and what he did for me on a cross and what he did when he was raised to new life on Easter Sunday. And C, I want you, I want you to know C is an option. Continue to pray for me. A, B, or C. We'll, we'll pray for you and we'll take it seriously. And we hope you'll still keep coming as you're trying to figure this thing out because here's what I know that I know. You just keep checking out the things of Christ and before long, he will win your heart, soul, and you'll realize what I'm teaching you today. You'll never find hope anywhere outside of Jesus Christ. Hey, if you're watching this online, you can just click down at the bottom onto that link that'll pull up this invitation card for you to participate in this moment as well. Where are you leaning your ladder? Where are you placing your hope? Think about those things while we sing this song together. You can just stay in your seats. No need to stand for this one.